0: Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we watched uh, *Hereditary*, which is a kind of acclaimed new indie horror movie from first-time director Ari Aster. Um, Toni Collette stars as the mother of two teenage children um, who lives with them and her husband, and she's mourning the recent loss of her abusive mother. Um, as unsettling and supernatural events begin to occur in her life, she begins to realize that her family is more troubled than she thought. Um, this movie is scary as shit. like this is yeah like this this year I've watched a lot of horror movies but the two that were really like I was shitting myself in the cinema were this and A Quiet Place and I feel like A Quiet Place is very sort of in the moment conceptual sci-fi horror whereas this is a lot more psychologically alarming because it's more of a family drama about like generational trauma as well as being a horror movie so
1: yes there are a lot of layers to this which we will unpack It is very difficult to talk about this film without spoiling it. One might say almost impossible. We should say a couple generic things about this if you're listening to this and are contemplating seeing it for some reason. Um, It's just a very good movie. It's extremely well made. This is, as you said, a first-time director. It's really incredible that this is a debut feature because it is a beautiful, beautiful movie, and every shot is like incredibly carefully,
0: it's it's crafted. very multi-sensory because yeah, you know, it's like the acting is incredible, obviously, but like the editing, the way it uses the camera to make you feel claustrophobic, just like it's very beautiful, like Morgan said, and also the music is great. It's by Colin Stetson, who's this. He's like this experimental saxophonist guy. He's great. Um, also, it's got like this auditory element, which is really simple and basic, but like so fucking effective. And you're like, you're dying. <laughs> and so it's like there's just so much going on there, um, as well as it just being this really well written drama about a fucked up mum. Which is, there's an article that we should link to um, in the show notes, but it's basically like that. It's like Tony Collette's. Zone, you know, like most women who like are middle-aged actors are like, I really don't want to be stuck with mum roles, and that may be because Toni Collette has taken all of the good mum roles. (laughs) She just plays screwed-up mums and has been doing so for twenty years, and she's amazing at it. And this is another one that is once again really good.
1: Yes, we'll go all. We'll go into deeper detail about all of this, but this is just my sort of pitch to you. I would say if you're considering going to this. Know that it is indeed very scary. Go with a friend. I went with a friend of mine. We had a great time because we like clung to each other and screamed at the right moments. And there was quite a few people in the cinema. And it was just like a very enjoyable, like communal, theater-going experience, which I think, you know, like horror movies have been doing very well recently. You can make lots of arguments for why relating to the political climate But also, people have very persuasively made the case that, like, you can watch everything at home now, but horror movies are particularly enjoyable in a cinema full of people. And I definitely found that to be the case with this one. Uh, We're going to talk more later about uh, different reactions that people have been having to this movie in terms of, like, the scare factor. But I definitely found this to be, like, genuinely very enjoyable, and I think a lot of that was the viewing experience, the fact that like, I went with a friend, and we both were like this is awesome um, so, yeah this movie was really great it will probably traumatize you, but in an enjoyable way that's our pitch now we're going to spoil it if you do think there may be any chance that you want to watch this, stop listening right now, because this movie needs to be seen
0: without
1: you knowing what happens. Um, it's a very fucked up film. Yeah. It's a lot of very fucked up things happen. The, in they
0: introduce a lot of elements early on, and it's interesting to see which of them pan out, because initially, first of all, one of the kind of main like visual features of the film and something that features quite heavily in the trailers is the fact that Tony Collette builds these like diorama dollhouses for a living she also uses them to like illustrate moments in her life so when traumatic things happen to her she's like re- she's doing these little recreations some of which are rooms in her house like showing her mother's deathbed and stuff so all the way through you're like what fucked up shit's gonna happen with these dollhouses and the answer is like nothing they're just there to like creep you out um but also initially because it's kind of about it starts off with her kind of doing the eulogy for her mother's funeral and her mother's ghost kind of appears extremely briefly in the background of a scene you're like is this a ghost story is this a spooky kid movie because her young daughter like her 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 teenage son is like basically just an average teenager but her younger daughter is like very eccentric so you're like is this a spooky kid movie is this kid going to be like cursing everyone or whatever <laughs> um and then it just like cycles through about four different stages as the film goes on because it's like a very slow burn and um, within the first third of the film, the daughter straight up gets killed off in a very surprising way. Like, she and her brother go to a party, she has an allergic reaction to some peanuts, and while they're driving home, she puts her head out the car window and her head is knocked off. So it's like unbelievably just upsetting. And horrible, and um, there's all this foreshadowing with these sort of occult symbols. So there's like they're around the house, and you see one like on a telephone pole before she dies, and that sort of thing. So it kind of all escalates until it gets to a point where Tony Collette is emotionally unwell enough to be taken in by this woman who kind of you assume that she's a scam artist, but she you know gives a very convincing seance, so now she believes in the supernatural. This is a bit of a rambling plot summary, but it's quite (laughs) hard to get through. Just the few people who decided they were voluntarily wanting to be spoiled. Um, Everyone in the family is, of course, very fucked up by this point because they've lost the grandmother and the teenage daughter in very quick succession. um, And the mum is going off the rails. You know, we know that there's a lot, like a history of mental illness in her family. Her mother clearly had like a lot of emotional issues. Like her father and her brother both killed themselves. And she has wound up in this situation where she's, also perhaps like enacting some kind of, of her own trauma onto her children. So like she tells this anecdote of like one time she woke up in her children's bedroom and she'd like doused them all in lighter fluid and was about to set them on fire and woke up by striking the match and her son never forgave her. And it's just like, oh my god, there's there's so much going on here. So the final third is more supernatural, but we'll kind of discuss the finale at the end, because like the ending is like a whole conversation unto itself.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the moment I guess it's the point at which the daughter gets killed off is when the movie becomes its own like crazy thing. It's funny that you say that about the dollhouses because I never thought anything weird was gonna happen with the dollhouses. I just assumed they were
0: a symbol. Well I was like I'm watching a horror movie right now, so I don't trust anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they feature those dollhouses very prominently, like just sitting there like watching these little dolls, like oh, god is a doll gonna move. Like, oh, <laughs> That is so not the kind of movie. That this it's is not. Is at it's all. not that kind of movie. But they do. They do do some kind of intentionally more cheesy horror stuff towards the end. So I feel like my my paranoia was somewhat warranted.
1: Yes. But what I think is so smart about this film is that, with the exception of the big moment with uh, the daughter Charlie being killed, it's not a particularly action packed film until that last act I would say in a way that I found extremely effective that scene is really upsetting it's handled quite I don't want to say tastefully because there is a shot of her decapitated head shown on the side of the road covered with flies which is gross but apparently I was listening to an interview uh, with the director who's like sounds like a, a pleasant you know, millennial, mad. It's very funny. And they shot a much more gruesome version of that scene that they then didn't use because they didn't need it. And I think that was right. Like, when it happens, you don't actually really see it.
0: Yeah, it's all done through the, the son's perspective. Because, like, he's driving right. the car. He's really panicked. He's kind of high. And he, you yeah. see this, this really long reaction shot of him essentially kind of going into shock, but like he can't make himself look around and you don't see exactly what happened, so you don't know exactly what happened, even though you do know, and it's just this horrible feeling of just dread and oh uh.
1: Yeah, and that's much that's much more effective, I think, than showing well, like pulpy yeah. gore that they probably also had. But except for that scene, and then there are these sort of Moments of supernatural or uncanny stuff, like the grandmother shows up in the corner of the room, right, And 20 plus sees her and is sort of freaked out. Or, or the sound that shows up periodically, um, which is the, the daughter's sound of choice and then sort of is haunting them. Not a lot happens exactly except the family dynamics, which are obviously completely fucked because the son has killed his sister and he already hates his mom and his mom already resents him because as she says to him in a dream, she never wanted to have children anyway. And so it's this like just devolving situation of absolute just like fucked up nonsense. And there isn't like, it feels like a horror movie, but it's there's not a lot of horror movie stuff until that last third. And I found that incredibly effective because it felt creepy to me but not massively scary until the end but that creepiness then elevated the scariness because you knew something was coming and so we were just sitting there and we're like when's it gonna happen it definitely has a slow burn dread but i
0: think it was like in terms of the actual story that's being told and definitely the performance we're getting from tony collette is straightforward, like psychological drama, like really intense family drama stuff. That's all about kind of relationships and her kind of internally just crumbling. But the way the film is shot and like all of the sound stuff is like pure indie horror. So I don't feel like it's one of these movies where it's like, oh, it's a cross genre thing. So if anyone like, there's always like people who try to describe, you know, sci-fi movies or horror movies. It's like, oh, actually, really, it's like a drama. And it's like, no <laughs> they're full on like possessed demon shit in this movie like it's a horror <laughs> no it clearly
1: is a horror movie yeah. but it's
0: it's very interestingly paced
1: yes uh, the pacing is the, the thing that's interesting about it um and there are very few jump scares of that kind of stuff until the end and because they're so sparingly deployed i found them way more effective and then the sort of stuff at the end is so just, like, fucked up that it totally, like, does your head in. Um, But, again, it was interesting. Like, so I went and saw this movie with my best friend from college um, who has a very kind of intense real-life, real-world job. And she was like, I was so much like, I want to go see a horror movie. You are the only person who would like see a movie like this with me. And I had already been like, I'm going to go see this movie with Nora. Um, and she was like, I don't want to see any like real world drama. Like, I want to see something that's like going to be, you know, escapist, whatever. And we were both. You know, freaking out during this movie, like she kept pulling her hood up over her head as like a stress maneuver because she was so freaked out. And we were like grabbing each other and having a great time. But when we both went out of the theater, like I had read all these reviews of people being like, this movie destroyed my life. Like I'm permanently traumatized now. And I did not and do not feel that way at all. And she felt basically the same. Like we were both like, oh, that was really like freaky, but like we were texting about it the next day and didn't really i i didn't find it super super scary and then you and then a work friend i have who is like seriously into horror movies way more than i or even you are she was like i am traumatized by this film and i was like oh
0: (laughs) so i (laughs) I have a very specific response to this right because like After I came out of the movie, I was like, I'm relieved that much in the same vein as A Quiet Place, this is a really terrifying movie that I don't think has, you know, a deep-seated concept that's going to really linger with me. Like, there's no part of it where I'm like, oh, that's really relatable kind of horror or something that I can kind of imagine. However, unfortunately, after a few days of artistic material germinating its little seeds in my brain... I have been gifted with a very specific intrusive thought that arrives bang on like 1am when everyone else in my house is asleep. Much like now, the lights are off. Unfortunately, both of our hallway lights are broken at the moment, so it's dark and scary. Um, But I'm going to have to kind of talk a little bit about something that happens at the end. But essentially at the end, there's like this mannequin that has the girl's head on top and is holding his arm up in this strange position that's sort of a little bit like, you know, like a papal blessing or something, but also like a spasm. But it like mirrors this scene earlier in the film where the son has a seizure and he's holding his hand up in the same position. And the visual mirroring between those two But like spasm hands is what stuck with me as some kind of whatever artistic juice was like, you know, in there stewing away that fucked me up. So that thanks to imagery, I've been affected by art. (laughs) Morgan's just (laughs) laughing at me hysterically on Skype right now.
1: (laughs) I literally did not notice that there was a parallel between those two images, so you paid more attention to this movie than I did. And were Consequently, more emotionally. Yeah, love, by love it. me
0: some artistic parallels.
1: That <laughs> I am. Wow, that is not what I was expecting yeah. to say at all. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's not something that had occurred to me, or something that would frighten me. No. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or most people but I should, I should <laughs> probably like maybe I should get send a little fan letter to the director just to let him know that I did notice what he did and it did work for some reason I think
1: that he would appreciate that very much I think that he would be really happy to know that he has traumatized you in this very specific way there is one image that definitely well I'll just say it now we keep talking about the ending it's hard to avoid but there's we, there's more that we'll discuss contextually about it later. But the thing that made my friend lean over to me to say that is the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen while we were watching it was when Tony Collette, in demon mode at the end of the movie, which is what happens, is like up against the ceiling trying to get into the attic where her son is hiding and is banging her head against... The ceiling door. That was terrifying. You see if that me, was the thing that like when oh, Tony Collette no. was in
0: demon mode, I was like, this is the one part of the movie that is like a normal like American horror movie. Cause like <laughs> every fucking like demonic possession movie just has the same thing where someone does like the crab walk on the ceiling or whatever. So I was like, I'm glad we're back in familiar territory now. So I was like, that part wasn't as scary, but like for the final third of the film, I did I was literally watching from like behind my hands. For a lot of it, like a like a cartoon person watching a horror movie. I was watching with my feet up on the chair and my eyes behind my hands. So there were significant portions of it in like the very final sequence where I was like, did not see it. And once we got to the final act, I was watching again because so I was like, thank god I need my psychological catharsis. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's rewind a little bit and talk more about yeah. the the just general general things for a minute.
1: I think well, I we've we've been talking about tons of it. And I think I would like to just rebegin this podcast with more of an appreciation of her performance and her general presence in this film, which I found to be so unbelievably refreshing and totally fascinating. She is playing a character who is both very sympathetic because her whole life is falling apart, and clearly her mother was like an abusive nightmare, and all this crazy, crazy shit is going on. But who also behaves in ways that are basically indefensible towards her children. Um, there's a big confrontational scene at dinner where she like screams at her son in a way that is just—it's awful, very. It's bad. like, it's like yeah. a
0: relationship-ending screaming match.
1: Yes, one hundred percent.
0: And the whole she has this um
1: therapist husband played humorously by Gabriel Byrne, who played a therapist on um, in treatment for a very long time, who's doing this very kind of like
0: I am a calm He's a nice man thing. named Steve and I was like he at first I was like, How did he wind up in this marriage? And I was like, Oh, he's nice. That's yes. how- <laughs> he's he's wound up in a relationship with this poor woman who is like just undefeatably fucked up by her upbringing and her her family curses. Um, I didn't even recognize it was Gabriel Byrne, actually. And then at the end, I was like, oh, oh
1: goodness. <laughs> I love me some Gabriel nice Byrne. Man. Well,
0: he's a nice nice man in this.
1: Well, he's nice, but also sort of needs to be in charge, which is an interesting, interesting dynamic in the marriage. Because... Then she is sort of going off into this crazy place, and he, combined with the fact that he's not nuts, and seems to be relatively well adjusted, but is kind of like a man, has, there's like the marital drama there, and then there's the drama with the children, uh, leads to just this unbelievable dysfunction. But, One of the things that I just kept thinking watching it, which is not really related to the plot, but is related to the general feeling of the movie, is that everyone in this film, including Tony Corrett, looks like an actual human being. They have normal faces. Their skin moves in a normal way. And I had seen Ocean's 8 the week before, not even a week before. Which you enjoyed much more than I did, yeah. so much so that we did not podcast about it to avoid dissent. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> it's just fun. I don't want to
1: argue with the fun <laughs> <you know. laughs> Um, But in that film, they are like airbrushed into oblivion it's to a point where I could not stop yeah. thinking about the it watching The CGI
0: it. faces in that movie, I will agree, are unsettling. <laughs>
1: yeah. And in this, like, I kept staring at Tony Collette's pores and just being like, oh thank god. You could see her flesh. Like, this is so great. And Gabriel Byrne is a man, so he doesn't have to worry about that, obviously. And then the other adult actor who features prominently is the wonderful Ann Dowd, seen, seen recently in uh, The Leftovers and The Handmaid's Tale. Just a tremendous actress. She plays this sort of creepy friend who gets her into the seance stuff. And then the teenagers also just like look like teenagers and i just thought so this is partially i'm noticing this be- i mean i am noticing this because this is like my extra grind i really really get aggravated about the face the stuff but also it was so reflective to me of like what the movie was trying to do which was obviously it's a genre movie, as you say, like, it's not trying to pretend like it's not a horror movie, and like, they live in this ridiculous, beautiful house. It's like. It's like a
0: palace. Okay. Yeah. And through, you're like, why do they have so much money? And then at the end, you're like, oh, we know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but it also, like, in the important ways, which is all, like, the emotional stakes of the movie, which is reflected in the actors' faces, which are expressing things. It is so emotionally authentic, and that's what like takes you through the movie, even when it sort of gets more and more ridiculous. And I mean that in a positive way. The last third, um, and Tony Collette, like we said this earlier, is completely giving just a like one hundred percent authentic
0: drama performance in a
1: way that's just yes.
0: Well, something this I, is I really tremendous. enjoyed about Tony Collette is that she is very good at expressing unusually like freakishly extreme emotions, but she can like toggle between like melodrama and like genuinely doing an extreme extreme emotional freak out like really well. Because I've yeah. seen movies where she is like full on being like either comedy or like melodrama hysterical. And I've also seen stuff where it's like deadly serious. Um which is yes. kind of like an interesting trait to have. And I feel like maybe maybe Nicole Kidman and possibly Winona Ryder, because like I know that like a lot of people have like a really harsh attitude to Winona Ryder in Stranger Things, and I'm like, no, I will fight for her. She's amazing at being hysterical in that show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I haven't seen Winona Ryder in enough things to.
0: Um, well, none of us has because her career played. was ruined by. Him. I
1: know, <laughs> so it's it's very unfortunate. I do like her very much as an actress, though, and I I believe what you are saying about Stranger Things, but I haven't watched. But the Nicole Kidman comparison I think is really apt because she also can can do both those modes really well. And I think that's true of Toni Collette also. And in this, there are moments where, I mean, in in the end, where she is doing the, like, big acting in a very effective way. But for the most part, even when she's doing these sort of big shouty scenes, it doesn't feel... Like, she's not behaving like a person. And a lot of the sort of questions of this movie are about who is behaving like a person or not. And, you know, until she gets possessed by a demon, she she really does feel like a traumatized person expressing her trauma in a real way. And in a real way that women or, like, female characters in media and particularly like middle-aged moms do not get to do. And as I said, the stuff that she says to her son is like absolutely indefensively horrible. And it's not like that's, you know, a positive representation of motherhood, but it's not a representation of motherhood that you ever see. Right. And so you need to have all of it out there. Because moms do behave like that sometimes, unfortunately, so, you know, and I just found that incredibly refreshing in a way. And then um, Alex Wolf, who plays her son, also does an incredible job in this movie. Well,
0: he's essentially like in this teen movie story. He's, like, kind of funny because his priorities are just, like, so stupid. Like, he has a crush on some girl that he, like, doesn't know. who's clearly just some, like, shit teenager like him. (laughs) And he's just, like, a stoner. And he has a bad relationship with his mother. That's it. That's, like, the end of his problems. And it's like, oh, by the way, there's fucking demonic entities thrumming in your world. He, I think, is the one actor who kind of looks like an actor because he does look... I mean, he actually looks a lot older than a teenager, quite frankly. But I think that's just a five o'clock shadow <laughs> <a> situation.
1: <laughs> I know. He's also like I think his hair is actually already starting to recede. I leaned over at one point and I was like, I think the hairline's going. He's he's and Nat Wolf's he's little brother, stubble. so he's
0: actually yes. he's actually younger than Nat Wolf, who's one of these people who's still playing like teenagers at the age of well, like thirty or whatever. I, I looked him up,
1: and he looks so old. He is my brother's he's age. He's literally twenty, so he
0: was a teenager is, when they were filming right. this. But like, he, he looks. Just,
1: he just looks really old. <laughs> but, yeah, he definitely is the most sort of actually looking, but he gets so progressively yeah.
0: And his, just his, just really, it really just feels so bad for him. It's like, you don't, you don't deserve any of this nuts. This is the
1: thing, is that, like, he is such a fuck-up that he goes to a party, gets drunk, lets his little sister eat cake with nuts in it when she has a deadly nut allergy, and then speeds down the road and like obviously not intentionally but still this is his fault like kills her and by not that long after in the movie you're just like this poor child does not deserve this like, like that's a real no. there's the no film. like
0: therapy for him and there's no inquest and you're like why is there no therapy and no inquest and at the end when you're like oh I guess that's why they're rich you're like oh I guess that's why there is no therapy <laughs> <laughs> the fucking dude his
1: dad is a therapist i mean the one totally implausible thing about this movie is that he is just like allowed to continue walking free like that's just not he would be in jail or like juvie or whatever the friend i went with is a lawyer and she was just like no no <laughs> like that's not plausible at all but you have to just accept it and roll with it to get to the rest of the movie. And I was willing to make that sacrifice because you need, I mean, the whole point is the the family drama that follows and it's fine. And obviously, I mean, it's not like he was setting out to murder his sister. He's very traumatized by it. So even if all this stuff didn't happen, it would still be sad for him. But he just, you know, there's, there's some culpability there.
0: Well, they're very rich. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, I meant like emotional. Oh, yeah, right? no, of course. You're like, watching, like, like, yeah, his life is ruined already. Yeah, and
1: you initially, like the scene where it happens and you, there's a long shot on his face that's, again, just like an incredible performance. And when he realizes what's going on and like you feel bad for him, but also it's kind of just this moment of like, oh man, you just fucked up and you fucked up. And by the end, it's just like, you, he is just a oh, victim. Like, this is just so awful. The whole thing is a nightmare. Um, which I think is it, it reminded me a little bit of like when you're watching a TV show and they introduce a the character at the beginning who's just like really terrible and superficial and you don't like them and then by a couple seasons in, it's like your favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, actually, this person is really deep. Poor Alex Wolf. It's really not a great time for anyone so nobody comes out of it looking great. Uh or with Alive. a great outcome. Yeah, no. And Dowd is really the only person who's like, yeah, this worked out great for me.
0: I love that because it was like um also her role was very much like within the concept of this film being just like an emotional drama for the first for like the parts where it's not supernatural. Because it's this very kind of clean cut depiction of Tony Collette goes to this grief-sharing group, like, people who've lost family members and want to talk about it. And this woman is this absolutely classic, like, slightly eccentric older woman who at first is just, like, friendly and helpful... And then, like, isolates her from the group. So she's now her, her, like, new grief friend, brings her around to the house and just steamrollers her into doing a seance, which works instantaneously. So she's contacting her dead grandson who writes stuff on a chalkboard. And I was like, this is immediately very suspicious because that is not the handwriting of, like, a dead seven year old, you know? <laughs> I was like, this is very, is this, is this bad or is it intentionally suspicious? And it's, oh, it's intentionally suspicious. But she is, of course, it turns out. A malevolent figure rather than just merely a an eccentric new body
1: Yeah. and and Dowd doesn't play doesn't play eccentric, nice ladies in support groups. she plays the level of ladies
0: in a very a very satisfying way. she was great I mean there's just the whole film is basically about relationships between women and relationships that like center on women.
1: yes, well, it's interesting, right, because I think the most compelling relationship as depicted in the film is the one between Tony Collette and Alex Wolf Yeah. Who's her son, obviously. But all of the sort of background stuff is about Tony Collette and her mom. And then the sort of other trauma that's driving it is obviously like Tony Collette and her daughter, who's just died. And there's the scene at the beginning where after the grandmother slash mother to Tony Collette has died which is right at the beginning of the movie you know they all come back home and it's clear that Tony Clint and gabriel berg are both kind of like well we're not that sad about this and that alex wolf also is like yeah you know that's, that's really okay actually <laughs> like she's dead this is like crazy old lady um and uh the daughter is the only one who actually is like upset about this yeah. but she's not crying because she doesn't cry. And Tony Colette is trying to sort of comfort her in a very kind of it's it's very good mom parenting. But it's also quite probing. Well yeah, but that's because yeah. she's got this like quite young daughter who isn't like talking to her about this like this grief and is being quite unresponsive and She's trying to get something out of her, and um it doesn't really work. And then the daughter dies, like, very shortly thereafter. And so all of this stuff is kind of what's haunting the movie in a really interesting way. But then the sort of central thing of what you're seeing is with the son. Um and then meanwhile, Gabriel Byrne is just kind of bumming around, like, <laughs> acting impotent, which I found quite, quite funny. And like, keeping pertinent pieces of information from Tony Collette about stuff that's going on at like the grave site. And, and eventually trying to tell her that she's uh, crazy for thinking supernatural things are real. And then he gets killed because of those things. And that's what you get for not believing your wife.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Although, in fairness, it's like yeah, it's like well, your wife says that she's contacting her dead relatives from beyond the grave, but she's also very clear, clearly having a nervous breakdown and has a history of potential schizophrenia in the family. So, yeah. Well, yes,
1: but the way he details details of it, I feel is slightly condescending. Yeah, but yeah, the the gender dynamics in this movie in general are quite fascinating which which all sort of comes out at the end.
0: And as have many people continually point out, horror is a very good genre for women.
1: Yes. It's funny. I was talking to my friend at work, who is such a horror person, I was saying, like, for most of my life, I was always like, why well, don't like horror movies. I'm not interested in them. Um, and in the past, say year I have watched quite a few horror movies and I was like I wonder why that might be like what has happened in the world that would make me all of a sudden much more amenable to horror films what could it be who could say I have no idea and I think part of it is like a lot of what gets marketed in terms of like mainstream horror stuff especially when I was like a teenager and forming my tastes is slasher movies, which I still have absolutely no interest in and do not care for. Right. Yeah. Um, And more sophisticated horror stuff still does well and is having quite a moment right now, but isn't what you're necessarily seeing if you're not as in the know. Um, But also I think I just don't get that scared by things as we were discussing, like, this movie did not scare me that much, and has clearly traumatized everyone else, so I have nerves of steel, but also it is, like, very cathartic to have certain things expressed that other genres don't touch, like, even the sort of bad mom thing is a horror, obviously like a horror movie trope that you know, other genres tend to be averse to dealing with or if they do, it will often be in a way that's, like, tacky or crass or just, like, offensive, and I didn't find that to be the case with this film at all. I thought it was handled in a very intelligent way. Like, as I said, even though Tony 20 plus character is, you know, not a very good parent, it's not like she's depicted as, like, the bad guy of the movie.
0: Almost like how virtually every dad in every serious drama is a shit heel, but we're meant to sympathize with them. <laughs> yes!
1: Exactly. Uh, and the women have to have to find their places somewhere else. And that is in movies like this. Which, I mean, this is one of the best movies of the year, so I'm not about to complain. No. But it is a bit like, hmm. Um, but let's talk about the ending because there's a lot of gender stuff there which is really fascinating. Let us. And I think has a lot of people quite up in arms. Which I found.
0: Oh, uh, You're going to have to explain intriguing. that to me because I'm aware that the kind of overall audience response like this film has it's one of those movies that is critically acclaimed but has a low cinema score rating because a lot of people were just like what the fuck is this but I'm not really aware of the whatever the gender discourse is so you can you can let well, me know about that
1: <laughs> I, I don't actually know what the discourse is either I'm merely speculating I know that it was slightly divisive when it came out but then by the time I had seen it the discourse had sort of faded and I think the scales had tipped slightly into everyone liking it again Which had been the response when it premiered at Sundance and then South by Southwest. The reviews were pretty much raves out of that. And then when it was released and all the critics saw it, there was more of a sort of back and forth about whether it was, you know, actually that good or not. And then particularly people were complaining about the ending. And so then today I was kind of Googling around and I couldn't actually find anything that was like, this is bad. But I know there are people out there. Yeah, well, who did not part of like the reason ending, why I right? didn't so, see it
0: initially when it came out is because I know someone who was like very vociferously it was like, "This movie is just really like bad and unoriginal." And after watching it, I was just like, well, like, I just disagree." Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely like it, it's not derivative, but it definitely like is part of a lineage of other horror movies, but in a really good way.
1: Well, what was really fascinating to me about ha- talking about it with my coworker, who's such a horror movie person, like she literally works. She's a photographer, and she like works on horror films. Like she's she knows so much more about this than I do. And it, this movie really got to her. And she, one of the things she said about it was like there are all these kind of implicit rules in horror for like stuff you can't show or things you can't do. And obviously, you know, horror movies will do a lot and feature all kinds of you know violence and whatever. But she has seen so many of them and that there are these kind of things that are sort of verboten. And she was like, and this movie did all of them to the point where she thought it was kind of on purpose. And I thought that was so interesting because I don't have that cultural context to have been like, oh, that's the thing that nobody does. What I I assume examples one of, the, of Forbidden stuff. She did not give oh, any okay. examples because she was just like, I think too, like, she was too traumatized to, to go on. Um But... Sorry to my coworker worker if she's listening to this. She's an emotionally hearty and wonderful person but she definitely was like very worked up about this movie. But I assume one of them is like murdering a child by decapitating her, right? Like stuff like that that strikes me as like, you know. Um, and then various things in the, about the end too, I would imagine. I mean, there's some like crazy
0: Oh man, crazy I love shit. the end.
1: Yeah. The very um, end.
0: The last like 90 seconds.
1: Yeah. And so what I was what I was wondering was, like, because I am not someone who is used to watching so many of these films did, was I just like, "Oh yeah, sure, like you wanna kill this kid? That's upsetting, but that's fine, like we can just continue on with this um
0: but I mean, I thought that the the kid's death was very like shocking and upsetting and awful, but I didn't really consider it to be transgressive compared to the vast number of horror movies that have, like, ghost kids or murder kids or whatever.
1: I mean, I am merely reporting what I've been told. And um, I just thought it was interesting to think about that in terms of, like, the end, too. There's some pretty gory stuff in a way that didn't feel gratuitous to me, but was pretty, like, shocking. I mean, the the shot that was the one that Definitely got a reaction out of my theater is uh, the shot where Tony Colette is sawing her own head off.
0: That was unbelievably horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, which I suspect was also on her list of like things that you're not generally supposed to do. And I just thought I was probably like an interesting place to be watching this movie because I am not like an expert in the genre, but also have seen enough that when the sort of plot culmination happened, which was that it turns out and. Anne- Dowd was like a friend of Tony Collette's mother's, and they are like cult worshipers of this demon cayman, I think, is how you yeah. pronounce it. and they are basically like looking for a new host for this demon, and it has to be a man.
0: So, like, Tony Collette had this daughter, and the daughter was the demon. Like, the daughter wasn't even possessed, so the reason why, like, she's so kind of eccentric, essentially, is because she grew up being this demon that's having to like be like a girl in the human world.
1: I thought she was possessed.
0: No, she was not possessed. I confirmed with the director.
1: Okay, <laughs> then I read things. They he, various people misinterpreted. Yeah, that which is interesting. Um, but like, there's a whole thing about Tony Quatt's brother having killed himself yeah. because he was schizophrenic, and saying like the mom was trying to put people inside of him and this then is explained at the end as they were trying to like put people inside of him. And so the Charlie, the younger daughter is not a a suitable vehicle for this demon because she's a girl. And so he, the demon has to be moved to the son. And the movie then basically is like a series of just like torments for this teenage boy to get him to the point where he will kill himself so that the demon can inhabit his body. And it all ends with this like coronation scene
0: with these like,
1: crazy old ladies. Oh,
0: there's and, there's, maybe, there's men as well. But it's like this. Yeah, because there are men too, but it just feels like
1: a Well no no, feels no like it was a, a nice 50-50 because 50, 50,
0: 50, it was like very yeah. clearly not just like here's some old witches. It was like yeah. here's just some affluent middle-aged people. <laughs> so it was like the whole movie is this, you know, psychological whirlwind where it's all about the violation of the home and like parental trauma and physical horrors and all this stuff. And then the final scene is there is this like amazing kind of installation art piece like I described earlier where there's this mannequin with the daughter's head on it and they're all ready to crown Alex Wolf to be possessed but um and character and stuff they're all just like very sort of cheery and she's giving like this kind of helpful speech to him at the end where she's like don't worry you're our demon lord now and I like, I it was just so, it was so visually arresting. It was just like really pleasurable almost because it's like absolutely horrifying to see all these like naked decapitated corpses and what have you. But like the finale was just so bizarre that it was like the catharsis was so effective to me. But also the fact that it basically clarifies, I think, that the demon is not really a malevolent entity as such it's just a bit confused because <laughs> all the way through the film, the demon has not really been doing any super bad stuff. You know, it's like the girl cuts at the head off a bird at one point, but generally she's just like a socially isolated, weird teenage girl. And then at the end, the expression that Alex Wolf has isn't like, oh, there's a demonic grin spreading across his face. He's like just having it explained to him that all these people are just like, oh yeah, by the way, thanks for being our demon king and giving us all this power because clearly they're getting wealth and power and what have you from him. And also interesting, like, like, in that scene, she does refer to him by his sister's name. Like, he's like, oh, Charlie. So that just kind of make it a bit clearer that Charlie was just the demon all along.
1: Well, yeah. So the expression on his face, I wouldn't even say confusion, but just, like, almost like he's not hearing them. yeah at all yeah like it's just such despair and what my friend said is it even like is it supposed to be the demon or is it supposed to be the kid who it like you and like clearly yes it's supposed to be the demon but you can't even tell from his face like it's just so
0: sort of like abjectly he's just like trapped yeah And they're the ones who've been to engineering this whole situation. Like, they are the ones that functionally have all the power. Yes. And the
1: generational nature of this, that it's all sort of been passed down, is apparent here. And I think I found all the the sort of gender stuff related to this really fascinating, right? Because all of this relationships... As we've been talking about, they are dictating the course of the movie are between women, and yet they have to like find a man. Yes, to to, to use his this, body. Right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, precisely. Literally, just for that purpose, and it's all like very superficial. But he is the figurehead when, in fact, it's the grandmother. Slash mother, mm-hmm. who is the sort of actual like terrifying matriarch, who's been making everyone's lives hell in a direct or indirect way for the their whole lives and the whole course of this movie. I'm sure someone has written something insightful about this at, a, at greater length, but I found it, I found it really fascinating. And he's said the director, or I asked her, has said you know repeatedly like it's not meant to be an allegory. Like I guess. I never saw The Babadook, although I... I've intentionally not
0: seen The Babadook, because I need to protect myself.
1: I have been told it is not as scary as this film. So, uh, for what that's worth. But that apparently is very much just like an allegory. And this, he said, like, no, 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 it's not an allegory. It is a literal thing. But it's clearly allegorical in nature. But one of the things I think is actually a strength of the movie is that it's not a clear, like, A to B situation like obviously this is a movie that's about family trauma but it's not like there's one set of things happening that has an exact parallel set of
0: explanations but also it's like the the idea that's like oh it's an allegory for family trauma it's like it's it's like literally very directly a depiction of family traumas i feel like i'm very glad how extremely batshit and clear the final scenes were because it was just like, it was like I said, like tremendously entertaining to me. I went out of that cinema like laughing with that sort of like hysterical fear laughter because it was so cathartic to me for the end to be so kind of experimentally bizarre without being pretentious. But at the same time, I'm like just very glad that it wasn't like, oh, maybe it was like a metaphor for mental illness all along. Because that would just be bad. It was it would be a bad response to the story we'd seen, you know.
1: Yeah, I think. But So I think the response to the movie that was negative um the bits i saw that were people the what i saw that i actually did read a little bit of uh, i was mostly trying to avoid spoilers right after it came out but i think people a lot of critics did not like the end at all because it was weird and too sort of um I don't want to say outlandish because of course it's a horror movie, so like that's not the correct term to use, but it is quite out of tone in a way with a lot of the first part of the movie. And I will admit that when Anne Dowd starts giving her little spiel about King Paymon, I was a little bit like, this is an interesting term. I was
0: 110 percent on board.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um and I think that if I had been making this movie, I probably would not have ended it that way, but I didn't make the movie, so that's fine. And so many horror movies end with something like this that I wasn't like Oh well, no. I actually thought like, it was how it was really they? bold
0: like, because like the transition, like you said, between the kind of the tones from beginning to end was just really I just really enjoyed how bold it was because there's loads of movies where it's like, oh there's a demon, you know, demonic possession is like a whole genre unto itself. And there's a lot of movies that are kind of ambiguous psychological dramas where to a certain extent, like the horror stuff is metaphorical for, you know, trauma or whatever. And in this one, like they they really did go incredibly literal. (laughs) Like they were just like, this isn't just a demon. Like it's full on going to be like, we're going to put him in a crown and there's going to be like people doing (laughs) nude performance art. And it was just, it was just so satisfying to me.
1: Yeah, it was out there. It was... It was an extreme move,
0: and it's the kind of yeah. It's just like you don't see that kind of extreme move very much in movies that are not like pretentious art cinema or bad.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, there are some bad films that that go.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's 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 always every year or so there is you do get like a Southland Tales, but um,
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think that a lot of the the sort of negative response had to do with that, and then I think there were. Probably people who just thought that the content was in general extreme. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's very much a taste thing because there are some movies where if someone is like, that movie's trash, I'm just like, well, you have the wrong opinion. Whereas in this, I'm kind of like, well, this movie is definitely going to provoke an extreme response. And I don't think the film's content was offensive politically. But if you hated it for like whatever reason, I'm going to be like, well, you know, fair enough. The film's very upsetting and weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I. Definitely agree about it not being offensive. It clearly is not going to be to everyone's taste. Like I mentioned to my dad that I had seen it and really liked it. He was like, oh, we decided already we will definitely never be seeing that movie. And I was like, that's fair.
0: I recommend it to my dad who sees like every movie. So I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm. i be interested to hear back if he decides to do that or not.
1: Yes. Yeah, neither of my parents were the sort of person who would see this. Which I think also like that's part of the reason why I didn't see horror movies for so long. Is that it was just not a thing my house at all growing up. I mean Yeah same. movies with real humans were not for some time. We watched only Disney films for a long, long time. So the horror stuff was not really on the docket Uh but I have now now come to really appreciate them. It's a nice escape from the other kinds of cars going on. Just see Tony Collette do some screaming and some swooping in from the corner of the ceiling. Really satisfying to
0: me. It is a very, very kind of effective pressure cooker steam release.
1: Yes. Um, do you have anything else you want to say? Um, I think that's about it.
0: You know, I feel like I should have something smarter to say about the way it fits in with the history of other horror movies, but I don't think I do other than it worked well, you know, because I feel like every year there's very, there's like a very hyperbolic response to some horror movie where you'll see like some critic or other would be like, "Yes, this counts up there with The Exorcist or whatever," and it's like you. I mean, fundamentally, one can never tell about that stuff for a few years because you have to wait for it to percolate through the public consciousness. But um, kind of in the in the kind of couple of weeks since I saw Hereditary, I watched The Exorcist and The Omen for the first time, and also The Witch in quite quick succession. Um, and The Witch is one of these movies that was like heralded as like, this will be up there with The Exorcist. And I was like, it won't though. Like <laughs> like I, do- I definitely didn't, I didn't hate The Witch. I was like, I enjoyed watching it and there were elements of it that were interesting, like kind of like this. I enjoyed the fact that it was a very literal witch, but it was like, it was not particularly great. Like I think that A Quiet Place was more interesting and there were still elements of A Quiet Place that were kind of cheesy. Whereas with this, I think because it fits into this quite specific genre alongside The Exorcist but is so clearly very innovative, I can kind of be like, yeah, all right, I can see that potentially, you know, come back in five years and we can talk about it. But um, yeah, like if, I don't think it was derivative because having watched The Exorcist very recently, they are extremely different while playing in a similar framework of being like a, a parental possession story.
1: Yeah, I gotta see that at some point. I'll I'll catch up soon. I do think this one's gonna have quite a long shelf life. It's it's pretty. It's got it's good war- scary. word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. If you can see it in the theater, and well, if you are for some reason listening to this and have not already seen it in the theater, or have made it this long, I don't know who you are or why you're here. Maybe, but
0: maybe we'll get Oscar buzz, and it will get an Oscar revival come come next year. There is
1: already a. Campaign in the works for Toni Collette so cross your fingers that would make by day because she's never been nominated for an Oscar, which is insane, and it would
0: be truly satisfying if this horror movie were. Yeah, day. she hasn't, and it's like I think we we were talking about that in our kind of Patreon only listener yeah. mail qu- question thing this week, where it was like, who do we want to win an Oscar? It's like Toni Collette you know, she's not got one yet, and most of yeah. her performances probably could win an Oscar, so why not have it be this one?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a week year. Oscar for start the hashtag. Uh, that is all from us this week on Hereditary. Thank you so much, as ever, for listening. Next week, we will be discussing something to be determined. Our July schedule is somewhat up in the air, but we will be back with another episode. Um, if you enjoyed this, we would greatly appreciate your support on Patreon. You can find things like that reader mail episode and other assorted goodies at www.patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. You can also find us at overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and at Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.